I'm Steve Duke, and this is the Two Roads Podcast. This podcast is all about trying to help people figure out what job they actually want, what job would make them happy, what job would make them feel satisfied, that they would find purpose in, they would find meaning in. And from all the conversations that I've had with people, one thing that keeps coming up is that there's a lot of people who want to do their own thing. They're currently in a full-time position, you know, working nine to five, corporate job, whatever else it is, and they want to have their own business or start their own thing. Essentially, they want some form of entrepreneurship. And I've been thinking about entrepreneurship a lot over the past couple of years, and I've talked to a lot of different entrepreneurs who are doing all types of different things. And what I've realized is that being an entrepreneur means a lot of different things. And when you're considering what path that you want to take, you should be aware of the different types of entrepreneurship that exist. Because one type might make you happy and give you all the things that you want from a job. Another type actually might not make you happy at all. And it might be full of things that you really don't like doing. And so what I want to do on the podcast today is explore four different types of entrepreneurship. I'm going to run through each one so that you can get a sense of, is this something, is this a path that you would actually want to go down and that you would enjoy? I'm going to break it down by a couple of different categories. So I'm going to talk about what the work is actually like, what your lifestyle would look like outside of work. Of course, I'm going to talk about finances and what those outcomes might look like for you. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about maybe the different skill sets that you might need if you want to be successful in this area. So that's what's on the agenda for this episode of No Gas. It's just going to be me, but hopefully by the end of it, you've got a really good insight into the different paths that might be available to you if you're interested in doing your own thing and which one might be best suited to you. So without further ado, let's get into episode 30 of the Two Roads podcast. So over the past few years, I've worked with a lot of different people who are running their own businesses. I've also had conversations on this podcast with tons of different types of entrepreneurs. And what I've done is categorize them into four different entrepreneurial paths. So the first one is what I'm calling a venture entrepreneur. These are people who've raised money from venture capitalists and they go and they try and build really, really large scale businesses. The second one is solopreneurs. These are people who are building businesses by themselves. They're literally a one man band, one woman band. That is it. A very, very broad category, but it's essentially bootstrapped entrepreneurs. And this is really every other form of entrepreneur. So people who are running their own businesses, but will often have people working with them. So they're not a solopreneur. But the one big thing is they haven't gone and raised venture money. And that has a big impact on the type of businesses they build and on what their lifestyle actually looks like. So I want to explore that. And the last one is a corporate entrepreneur. What I found was there are some jobs where you can be extremely entrepreneurial, but still get paid a salary. And you're doing it as a full-time employee of somebody else's business. And I think that's worth exploring because sometimes it gives people a lot of what they want from an entrepreneurial journey without some of the downsides and risks that come with having to go and start your own business. So there are the four different categories of entrepreneurial paths I'm going to explore today. So we're going to start with being a venture entrepreneur. So who are these people? We know these people. These are the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Elon Musks, the Jeff Bezoses of this world. They start businesses that they want to have massive scale with. And that often means that they go and they raise money. They take on investment from external 
firms, often venture capital firms. And what this means is when they do this, they're basically saying, hey, I want to go and build something massive. I need money to do that. And what we need to think about is what impact does that actually have for the people who are building these businesses? So if you want to be a venture entrepreneur, what does that mean for you? Well, it means that you're going to be under a lot of pressure. Essentially, you are taking a massive bet and the people who are investing, you're taking a massive bet that you can build something huge, like billions, tens of billions of dollars. And that has a lot of implications. So I want to talk a bit about what the work might look like, the lifestyle, um, and of course, like financial outcomes as well, if you were to go down this venture path as an entrepreneur. So in terms of the work, when you start a business like this, you're basically doing everything. You're in the weeds. Your job is to build something and find customers who want it and are willing to pay for it. So you're very, very hands-on. There's no idea of kind of sitting in an ivory tower and being able to tell other people what to do, especially at an early stage. Now, good thing about early stage is it's super exciting. It's very, very high adrenaline. You get quick feedback and iteration cycles. You can build a product, you can launch it, you can see if people like it. And so if that's something that you enjoy, you're going to find this very, very energizing if you're building a venture scale company at this early stage. Now, it's not going to be glamorous. You're going to probably have a very, very small team in some little shitty office in a basement. It's not like working at Google or Facebook. Those companies did not look like that when they were only a couple of years old. So it's scrappy and that's what your actual work is going to look like at the early stage. Now it's going to transition a bit as you grow. If you're successful and you get a three or four or five years down the line, if you continue to raise money, you're going to be doing other things. So what does that look like? Well, you're still going to be selling. You're going to be selling to investors. You're going to be selling to partners, customers, and you're definitely selling to employees. Essentially, your role turns into almost being a full-time recruiter. A lot of the founders that I've talked about who run venture-scale companies, they spend the vast majority of their time essentially just trying to get good people into their business. And so that's what you're going to spend your time doing. And you mightn't think that when you start a business, that's maybe not what you're thinking you're going to be doing with your time. You're going to spend a lot of your time in meetings. Once the business gets big, once there's, you know, kind of 50, 100 people in it, your job is now to kind of define strategy, to set priorities for its teams, to make sure that the teams are working together, you're building plans, you're managing investors and talent. When it gets bigger, you're not doing the nitty gritty stuff that you were doing when you're earlier, when you're, you know, an earlier stage company. And that's a big transition. And so you need to think about, is that a transition that you want to make? Some people really enjoy the early stage and then they hate when it gets out of that scrappy startup phase. Some people are vice versa. And so that's just one thing to consider. It gives you a bit of a sense about what that work might look like. Essentially, you're doing one of two things. You're either building a product or you're selling it. In the first few years, that's all that matters in a startup. And so you need to think about, do you have the desire to be doing one of those two things? In terms of your lifestyle, this is the biggest one. For me personally, this is why I don't want to go down this route as a you know a venture entrepreneur. You work your ass off. You're on the clock all the time. You've brought on investors. You have big teams that are kind of reliant on you. I think it's very, very difficult to switch off. I know for founders, entrepreneurs that I've worked with, it's really, really difficult to switch off because things are moving and they're moving at a really, really big pace and the expectations on you are usually huge, right? So it's not about growing 10 or 20 or 30% every year. Oftentimes you're trying to treble every couple of years, right? Or treble every year for a few years in a row. Like that sort of growth is so, so hard. It means that you're growing your team all the time you're growing your customer base and with that comes a ton of problems and it makes it really hard to switch off. You're basically working almost all the time. We had Jack O'Mara on this show in one of our, actually one of our first few episodes and 
he's the founder of Okrobio, which is a venture back company. And he talked about the fact that, you know, he just works all the time. And he's trying to find balance now, but like, it's really, really hard, but he wants to be there. So if you're not the type of person who actually wants to be there, if you're trying to force yourself to work these sort of hours, it's probably not for you, right? Another story of a founder that I used to work with was that like he had a, you know, a wife and a young kid at the time, but he had to get on a plane and essentially go to America almost every single week. So you go back and forth between Ireland and America almost every week. And like, that's just, that's a stressful lifestyle. Some people love that. Some people might listen to that and say, yep, I absolutely want that. Some people might listen to that and say, no, that's not for me. But you should just be aware that there is a huge amount of work that's required if you're going to go down this path. Now, in terms of financial outcomes, basically you can get mega, mega, mega rich if you go down and you want to be a venture entrepreneur and if it all comes off. So you're essentially taking a massive, massive bet. If it comes off, you're going to be the next Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg of this world and be stinking rich, but there's a good chance that you get absolutely zero. Also, you probably need to wait a long time to get that money. So even as the business is growing and your equity, your stock that you own in the business is starting to worth a lot. Usually it's very illiquid, which means that you can't really do much with it. It's just this kind of paper money that exists, you know, in some valuation model somewhere, but you actually, you can't take it out. You can't buy a house with it. You can't buy a car. You can't go on holidays with it. It's, um, it's very, very illiquid. Now, sometimes more and more now, what happens is if you get to a decent stage, maybe like a series B, series C, you can take money off the table in what's called a secondary. So, you might be able to cash in a little bit and get a little bit of liquidity for what you've built. But the big, big outcomes, you're going to have to wait a long time for. But as I said, if your company becomes worth a billion dollars, there's a very good chance that the founders of those companies own somewhere between 10 and 20, 25% of that business, which is, means that they're worth 100 or 200, $250 million, which is an absolutely absurd amount of money. So if that's something that you want to go after, this is a good bet to take. Now, in terms of skill set, obviously, there's an absolute ton of things that's required to be a successful entrepreneur in the venture space. I don't claim to know all of them, but there's a couple of th- trends that I've seen across the successful founders that I've worked with. The first is that they're extremely adaptable. The job that you're going to have to do changes massively from hour to hour, from day to day, from week to week, and certainly as you kind of transgress through these different stages. You also need to be incredibly good at getting shit done. You're the kind of person who just like sees a problem, doesn't take no for an answer, and will just like wring its neck until it's it's done. Like you're obsessive in that way. Typically, these people are quite bold. So, you know, you have to take big risks if you're going to have big outcomes. And so you can't be kind of faint-hearted. I, I've never really seen a venture founder who's kind of faint-hearted and, and, and shies away from taking big risks. And you have to have a vision and be able to sell that vision to other people. Another one, which is massive, is about having resilience. So founding a startup, not that I've done it, but I've seen, I've been very close to like founders who have done it. It's so hard. It's so, so hard. Like I joined at the stage, you know, where it's not the very, very start, but it's early days. And it doesn't really get much easier. You just have another set of problems that you have to get over. And so you need an extreme amount of resilience to always be kind of kicking the teeth and get up again the next day and go, yeah, we'll just go again. That's fine. So you also need resilience to be able to deal with like the emotional roller coaster. You're going to have a massive win one day and then like a massive kicking teeth the next day. And you need to just be able to ride that roller coaster. So essentially, I think this is a very good path for people who are 
first of all, if there's a problem or there's a business or something that you're just obsessed with, if this is something that you just really, really want to do, and you're almost not even asking yourself the question of, should I do this or should I not? You're just like all in already. Then those people tend to typically enjoy this path. You really care about the scale of your impact. That's an interesting one. One benefit of starting one of these types of companies and being an entrepreneur in this way is that you can get massive scale. You can reach a ton of people, like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, and you can have a massive, massive impact if that's something that you really care about. It's good if you want a chance of massive financial outcomes and also if you have a huge amount of resilience and are willing to be resilient for a very long time. So that's path number one, being a venture entrepreneur, going and starting a startup of some form, raising venture capital, and then going on that journey to try and build something absolutely huge. Now, the second path that you have available to you if you want to do your own thing and you want to be an entrepreneur is being what's called a solopreneur. And this term has kind of only got popular in the last couple of years, but it's a super interesting one. Essentially, these are people who build businesses, but do it entirely by themselves and often without raising any external money. So they're very often like media or education businesses. Some examples that you'd probably know about are like Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss, I would call these folks solopreneurs. Justin Welch is another guy. If you don't follow him and you're interested in learning more about solopreneurship, go follow him on LinkedIn. He's very successful and has written a lot and has a ton of content about how to be a solopreneur. On this podcast, we've had a couple. Ash Reed is one who's built successful media businesses. And so is Brian Moylet. I'm not sure if he'd call himself a solopreneur but when I was thinking about it he definitely is he runs his own business but entirely by himself and a lot of it is focused around content and training and education for people so let me start by giving a bit more detail around what a solopreneur often looks like so these are people as I said who are often building like media or educational businesses so very often it's their personal brand to their typically going to be investing a lot in social media, having their brand there, releasing a lot of content through that. And then essentially they get paid by either selling that content or media, either to you or to, you know, somebody else, like for Joe Rogan, for example, you don't pay for Joe Rogan, but Spotify paid him a ton of money to get all of the Joe Rogan podcasts onto their platform. Or you sell education. So this is what Justin Welch does. So he is a solopreneur on LinkedIn and he basically teaches other people how to be solopreneurs. And so you sign up for his course or you buy ebooks off him or whatever else. Now, there's other modes of being a solopreneur. Ash Reed, he built a media business, which is actually not about him. So he's probably an exception to the rule where his face is not the personal brand of his business. He built media businesses in the retail and interior design space where people would come to the sites that he built to learn more about how to design their home or furniture or whatever else and then he would make money by selling traffic and through affiliate deals to people who are selling furniture that people want to buy from but ultimately kind of the common trend here is that people are doing it on their own so they're not going out and hiring big teams and they're not raising money to go and do this. So in terms of what your work looks like, now this could be a range of different things, but typically these people tend to have a craft that they're working on and this is what they spend their time doing. So whether you're a writer or a podcaster or a trainer or whatever it is, you 
probably needs some sort of a craft and to want to and be willing to go deep on this topic and become very, very good at it and become an expert. So if that's something that interests you, this is then a really good path to take. The trade-off with this work is, it's hidden in the title, solopreneur. It can be lonely. So you're often working, you're usually working without a team to support you. And that limits maybe the amount of social interaction that you have. And that can be tough. So if you think about it, right, maybe there was somebody who was working as a writer in a full-time job. She's working nine to five. She was going to the office every single day, hanging out with people. And she decided that she wanted to go and become a solopreneur where she wrote for herself and she, whatever it was. Now, great. She's setting her own hours. She's choosing the projects that she works on. She's making her own money, but it's very lonely. She's probably working from home a lot or working from cafes and she may not be seeing that many people on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. So that's something that to consider if that is something that's important for you. One tr- way you can do this is you can work with contractors. So I know that's what Ash does. I do this a bit in my job as well. As I, I don't have full-time employees, but I do have contractors and I can work with them and that gives me a bit of like interaction and the chance to like brainstorm with them, which is nice. I like that in my life. That's what the work might look like, but again, massively varies depending on the type of craft that you have and are interested in and the type of work that you want to do. In terms of lifestyle, so this is really the ultimate path for maximizing control and freedom. So if you think about, say, Tim Tim Ferriss as a solopreneur, he's got his blog, he's got his podcast. If he wants to take three months off and do nothing, not release a single podcast, blog post, whatever who's going to stop him he has no investors he doesn't have a board he doesn't have any employees to worry about he can just leave so he has a massive amount of freedom and control over how he spends his time and that's a real benefit of being a solopreneur another consideration with relation to being a solopreneur and your lifestyle and your income is that your income is directly tied to your effort and output so if you don't work you don't get paid For me right now, I'm kind of a solopreneur and I'm doing a bit of contracting work, but right now it's directly tied to my labor and my hours. So if I stop working, I don't get paid and that's tough. Now, the way to get around this is to build things that don't require you to actually be putting in man hours every single time you want to get paid. So if you look at Tim Ferriss, he's written books. And so the books will sell whether he's on holidays or not. So that's one way to get around it. But ultimately, your income is directly tied to you and to your effort. So you're not really getting scale or leverage from anybody else who's working on your team. It's just up to you. And if you don't do anything, you know, the business isn't going to move forward in any way. Another thing to consider from a lifestyle perspective is that oftentimes you are the brand of your business. So you are going to be front and center that's not for everybody. Some people want that. Some people don't. Just a consideration if you're thinking about being a solopreneur. Now, let's talk about financial outcomes. This can be anything. You can make a lot of money because you own 100% of this business. You are a solopreneur. Um, but it can be hard to scale to really massive. Now, there are the exceptions like the Tim Ferriss or the Joe Rogans who are going to make you know tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. But Typically, it's very difficult to reach like that massive scale. Then you can take somebody like this guy I mentioned, Justin Welch. So he runs primarily courses. That's how he makes his money. And he makes 
1.7 million dollars a year so that's still like a shit ton of money especially because it's all his right and i imagine the margins that he has on that are huge because essentially he builds a course once and he can sell that as many many times as he likes so the range of financial outcomes here is huge probably difficult to make massive massive money but definitely possible to make a really good living for yourself in terms of the skill set that you need so you kind of have to have a niche and a craft you probably need to be good at personal branding especially if you are going to be the face of your brand so you need to you know be willing and be interested in building your brand And you probably need to be good at internet marketing and sales. Most of these businesses thrive because they are able to reach customers online and sell their course, their content, whatever else it is uh, to those people. And so if you have that skill, you have that ability, that's a big plus. So I think this is for you if you really crave that ultimate freedom over anything else. If you don't particularly value working with people if you don't like managing people this is a really good entrepreneurial path to go down so those are parts one and two that you could consider if you wanted to do your own thing and be an entrepreneur so the first one was being a venture entrepreneur the second one was being a solopreneur and now we're going to talk about option number three which is being an everyday entrepreneur. And this category is absolutely massive. So it's a little bit difficult to kind of categorize the different traits of this category, but I'm going to give it a shot. Essentially, these are what you might call like your classic like business people, your business owners. You've got, you know, big ones that you might have know of, like Alex Hermosi or Nick Huber or Sam Parr, who are kind of very prevalent on the internet then you've actually had a lot of people on this show who are everyday entrepreneurs so Andy Lee, Alicia Conlon Hurd, Ogie Hollywood, Chanel Venter they've all built businesses and they're all entrepreneurs and now the big thing here I think which defines them from the other categories is one they're doing it with a team or of some size so they're not solopreneurs and the second one is they haven't raised venture investment so Typically, these are called bootstrapped entrepreneurs. And that actually has a big difference because the second you raise venture investment, it means that you have to go and try and become a massive business. Whereas these people who are starting these businesses, and when they don't raise money, they don't need to go and be a billion dollar company. They can make $100,000 a year. They can make a million. They can make 10 million. They can decide what level of ambition they want to set for their business. If you think about, you know, the categories that we're talking about in terms of trying to understand what each path might look like, in terms of the work, right, there's no real common trends here. But you've got to be some form of a hustler. If you're going to go and start a business of some description, you've got to be somebody who's able to turn nothing into something. And you probably have to be able to sell and you probably need to be able to build something, right? They're the typical things that you're going to be doing on a day-to-day basis, either building something or selling it. Now, the main thing in terms of the work and how you spend your time is that you're probably in a lot more control compared to being a venture entrepreneur. So you decide how fast you want the business to move. You decide what your goals are, how much money you want to make. You decide how much holidays you have, how much holidays, you know, your team has. You're in control of these things. 
Now, it's pretty likely that you will also have staff. So from a work perspective, if you're the owner of this business, you're going to be managing them and you need to consider if that's something that you like doing, right? It's going to be different from being a solopreneur. In terms of lifestyle, I don't know that I can necessarily categorize this any different, but you do have more control than being a venture entrepreneur in terms of how you spend your time outside of work, but probably not quite as much as you would if you're a solopreneur. And the reason being that, you know, you will have a broader team around you um, that you're kind of either responsible for or need to keep on track and manage. But at the same time, I know a lot of people who have a lot of freedom running their own businesses, even though they're employing staff. So if you listen to the episode with Chanel or Alicia or Ogie, they still have a huge amount of freedom in terms of where they spend their time and how they spend their time as well. Financial outcomes, anything, right? Probably a little bit harder to, again, have those huge, huge venture scale outcomes because if you're not taking in external money, it can just take a really, really long time or be way harder to invest in the types of things that would give you scale to be absolutely massive. But you can definitely make a shit ton of money doing this, right? Again, the big thing is that you own this business and you probably own all of it or you split it maybe with the one or two other people who you've started it with. And so even if you're making, I don't know, let's just say $500,000 a year, which would be tiny if you compared it to a venture-backed tech company, if you're making $500,000 a year and there's only two of you, that's a decent amount of cash that you're able to put in your pocket. Now, where these people often make their biggest windfalls is by selling their businesses. And so if you look at Sam Parr, he founded a media company called The Hustle and he sold that to HubSpot for tens of millions of dollars. And so that was his big payday. He didn't pay himself much when he was actually working at The Hustle, but he built up all his value in the equity of that business. The way he got a great financial outcome was by making his business really valuable. And then because he owned it, he could sell it great thing to consider about this versus being a solopreneur is that it's much easier to sell a business that doesn't rely on your face being the front of it, right? If you want to sell a business and move on from it and have nothing to do with it, it's very, very difficult if it's, you know, called stevejuke.com, right? An interesting trend that's happening that I'm always following is that a lot of people are now starting these kinds of businesses and going on to build hold co-businesses. So essentially turning into like mini private equity companies. So you're seeing folks like Andrew Wilkinson, Cody Sanchez, and even Alex Hormozzi now do this. And Alex is doing it with acquisition.com. So they've built a successful business at the start, something that generates cash flow, And then they're like, hey, we want more businesses. We want to be able to scale our impact or scale the amount of money that we can make. And so they're going out and buying other businesses and trying to make them successful which is a really interesting trend a very interesting sub trend within that is focusing on boring businesses and this is one that cody sanchez focuses a lot on if you haven't listened to cody i'd go and i definitely recommend listening to a few of her podcasts Uh, she's really really good and she talks about boring businesses so this is that fact that there's lots of businesses that make a shit ton of money that we would not think are super sexy or be that interested in so that could be a bakery. It could be a landscaping business. It could be a concrete cutting business. It could be anything. There's so many businesses out there in the 
you know, real tangible world who are not tech sexy businesses. And we don't tend to think about them that much, but they make a lot of money. If you think about the guys in your community, um, the men or women who have built a lot of wealth for themselves, they often own businesses and they often own businesses that are not super sexy. I know that's certainly true in my own community if I think about the people who have done well for themselves, but they own something. And so there's this interesting trend of people saying, do you know what? I don't want to go and build the next Facebook. I'm actually very happy to go and build the next landscaping company. And if I can take home, you know, two or $300,000 a year at the end of that, that's pretty damn good. I don't need to be a multimillionaire. Um, I can do this and I can make a really good living for myself. So that's this kind of track of being a, an everyday entrepreneur. And it's a huge category, as I said, but ultimately it's around kind of starting your own business and you're probably going to have people who help you along the way, but typically you're not raising money. So you're the, the classic business owner that we quite often think of. Now, for the fourth category, this is what I call corporate entrepreneurs. And this is an interesting one because it's definitely the most different to the previous three. So being a corporate entrepreneur is essentially where you find a job, like a full-time job, that allows you to do a lot of the things that entrepreneurs would do on a daily basis in terms of building a business and being creative and you know trying to create value in an organization. But you've got a salary job. So what jobs might this actually be? So being a CEO is actually one of these jobs. Another one is being an entrepreneur in residence. And I can give you a bit of a description what each of those are. Well, a CEO, you probably know what a CEO is, but essentially you're running a business. And just because you didn't found that business doesn't mean that your roles as a CEO are not super entrepreneurial. So we had Philip Dorn on this show, who is the CEO of HelloFresh Ireland, who is a really great example of having a role that is incredibly entrepreneurial. When he started this job, his mandate was essentially to open up HelloFresh in Ireland. And so he was actually doing an incredible amount of entrepreneurial work in terms of like figuring out like what kind of product will Irish people want? How am I going to build that product? How am I going to get it to them? How am I going to hire staff? I'm going to build facilities that allow me to service all of these customers in Ireland. That's exactly what a founder of the business was doing, but he was able to do it through a full-time job. And the benefits of this, of course, is that it comes with a lot less risk. It's not no risk, but it's a lot less risk. You're going to get paid and you're probably going to get paid pretty well from the early days. So, what does your actual work look like? You're often doing a lot of these entrepreneurial things, but you're just doing it within somebody else's company. So you can spend a lot of time innovating, coming up with new ideas, creating new products, but within the safety of a corporate structure. And also when you start your own business, as I kind of talked about in the first three parts, you end up having to do a lot of the shitty nitty gritty work that you don't really may not want to be doing because there's nobody else to do that for you. But if you come in as a CEO in a business, there's departments who will do that work. There's departments who will look after your tax, after payroll and HR and all those things that you may not be interested in and allows you to focus on doing the more innovative and creative work. From a work perspective, now you are on kind of the flip side of it, you are a salaried employee, so you're going to be a bit more tied to kind of a fixed schedule and location as 
compared to if you were running this business yourself. You do have bosses. So you're going to have a, a boss that you report to or a board um, or investors ultimately. So you have a little bit less control and autonomy than you would if he was just your own business. And from a lifestyle perspective, the great thing is, I think of this one compared to the other ones, is like you can take regular holidays and get paid while you're on holidays. So there's kind of a less of a direct tie between the inputs that you provide into your work and how much you get paid every week or every month or whatever else it is. But, you know, it's going to be more similar to kind of a corporate job in terms of the times um, that you work and like what then your lifestyle looks like outside of that. But it's a really interesting um, path to consider if you are interested in a lot of the activities of being an entrepreneur, but not necessarily taking on a huge amount of risk. So from a financial outcomes perspective, of course, you're going to get paid a salary and you're going to get benefits and all of that's going to be great. And depending on the size of the business that you go and work in, you can get paid a really decent chunk of money, like CEOs in general tend to get paid well. I should mention, of course, there are other paths other than just being a CEO. So the one I did mention was being an entrepreneur in residence. This is typically exists within venture capital firms or kind of within incubators where you're a salaried employee, but your job is actually to get initiatives and new ventures up off the ground. Anyway, coming back to the financial outcome side of things, paid salary, get benefits like healthcare, retirement plans, all of that good stuff. In terms of getting a really big win, you will often get equity packages as part of your compensation, which would be the way for you to kind of really make bigger amounts of money. They look massively depends. They could be very, very substantial and worth, you know, six, seven figures and fairly easily, but it really, really depends on the size of the company and what your performance would be within that company. Maybe a little bit more difficult to make really substantial amounts of money. I'm talking like tens, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, versus if you were to go into one of the other entrepreneurial paths. In terms of skill set, so you're going to need the skill set that requires you to be a really excellent manager. You need to be an incredibly good people manager. You need to be good at quote unquote business. And that means everything you're going to need to understand strategy and finance, marketing, product. You're going to need to be very, very well versed in each of those. Even if you're not doing them directly, you're going to be managing teams that are, and you're going to need to be able to provide them with input. And in terms of actually obtaining this job, like this is a job that you have to apply for. So that's kind of the one big difference between this and the other jobs. The other kind of paths, and if you're being an entrepreneur, you can just go out and start yourself. You don't need anybody's permission. Nobody can say no to you starting a company. But if you want to go and get one of these corporate entrepreneur jobs as a CEO or as a managing director or an entrepreneur in residence, you know you have to go and, and convince somebody to give that to you. As I said, this is a really interesting path could be for you if you like a lot of the activities of being an entrepreneur in terms of that innovation and creation but you still want like the consistency of a salary and of the benefits that come with a salaried job all right that's it if you're considering doing your own thing going down an entrepreneurial path you now know the four different paths that are available to you and kind of the pros and cons and trade-offs of each one which is hopefully helpful in making a decision for which one might be best for you and maybe you learned something new today i hope you did i think a lot of people 
want to start their own thing for a couple of reasons. One is that they want freedom of time and freedom of place, where they are and what they're doing. A second one is that they have a cause that they care about. They really care about solving a specific problem and often starting their own business or starting their own organization is the easiest and most impactful way for them to do that. And then I think the last one is around autonomy. And I think that's a little bit different to kind of freedom of time and place, but having the autonomy to say, this is my thing. I don't need anybody else's permission to go and build something or to launch a new marketing campaign. And that's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly enjoyable when it's just your thing and you can do whatever you want with it. And I think that people who want to go down this entrepreneurship route, I would really encourage it if it aligns with your goals from a work perspective and from a life perspective. And if you want to hear about the different paths of people who have gone down one of these four paths, go back and listen to my previous episode. I've kind of mentioned them throughout, but there's at least one person from every single category who I've had onto the podcast. And so you can go back, hear their journey, the lessons that they've learned and figure out if that's right for you. So I hope you enjoyed episode 30 of the Two Roads podcast. If you enjoyed it, go leave me a review on whatever podcast player you use. And if you want to stay up to date with more content about finding a job and a life that you love, follow me on socials. On Instagram, you can get me on the Two Rods Pod. And on LinkedIn, you can get me on Steve Duke. But apart from that, I'll see you again next week for episode 31 of the Two Rods Podcast.